Yeah. I'll just have to buy XRP and some other stuff instead. <laughs> yeah, please don't buy XRP. Um, that's you know, I don't care what I don't care what anybody buys. You know, you can you can have your own opinions, but uh, you know, if it's Doge or XRP or GameStop, just you know, <laughs> GameStop at this point, by the way, is sound. It's it's pretty much a cryptocurrency. Um, I don't think there's any any asset value behind it. Um, it might as well be XRP, right? I think there's a few leftover stores and malls that they're trying to sell shelves out of. All um, right. Because all the games are gone, right? I mean, who would have known, right? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Ferris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics Podcast. This is Ferris. I'm here with Gordon, and Gordon will introduce a very special guest on a very special occasion for us today. Before we do so, this is our proof of recording. The price of Bitcoin is 34895 the block height is 668,781. And it is Wednesday, oops, sorry, Tuesday, the 2nd of February. And Gordon, I'll leave it over to you. Who is our guest for today? On our 100th episode, Faris, uh, we have Stephen McClurg, who made his second appearance. So we're uh, delighted for him to come back, especially on our 100th episode. So we really appreciate that. And uh, Faris, this was right up your alley, investment, non-tech stuff. So, you know, uh, even I learned a thing or two, but Stephen is incredibly knowledgeable, especially about the macro markets and uh, his uh, new company, Valkyrie, getting into the Bitcoin ETF. So um, I, I found it enjoyable, even though I'm not a, not a hardcore investor. Um, how about you, Faris? Oh, that was a lot of fun. So yeah, we went straight in. I think we started off talking about GameStop. Um, and then, yeah, talking about the Bitcoin ETF, which um, is actually really interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, even if you don't intend on buying an ETF, it's good to know what the price correlations and causations are with ETF. So we talked about how when the gold ETF came in March 2003, how that affected it. We talked a lot about inflation because we are starting to see inflation in the markets at the moment. Um, and I don't just mean financial markets. So we're seeing inflation in commodities and stuff that you buy at the shops and um, how will that affect Bitcoin? So yeah, this is really crucial times for Bitcoin right now because we are seeing hedge funds come into Bitcoin a lot more. Um, we've had people on this show who were anti-Bitcoiners turn around and say, yeah, okay, we, uh, we see the value in this and that's really starting to pick up. Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, we'll get into it. And even if you're someone like me, who's not an investor, I'm not really interested in the investor and financial side of things, whether you're a Bitcoin or not, um, I found it fascinating. And, and Stephen has some incredible insights. So uh, here we go. All right. Well, uh, welcome everyone to our 100th episode, streamers and balloons popping in with the magic of uh, post-production here. So um, I've got Faris with me as well, but we've got a special 100th episode and couldn't think of a better guest. Today, we've got Stephen McClurg. It's his second time that he's been on the podcast. 
Um, but instead of me introduce, introducing him, Stephen, tell us about yourself and um, yeah, uh, go from there. Yeah, hey, thanks so much for having me for a second time. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't have me twice after experiencing me once, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm the CIO of Valkyrie and also the CIO of Basket, which are uh, uh, two, two, two different types of blockchain companies that uh, I'm involved with. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're very actively pursuing uh, a path to asset management uh, in, in the blockchain world, uh, Valkyrie, uh, very focused on, on Bitcoin products, uh, uh, everything from grantor trust to ETFs, uh, to, uh, anything else that we can put a security wrapper on, uh, uh regarding, regarding Bitcoin and, uh, other digital assets is what we're, is what we're up to. And before we get into all that, Stephen, I want to ask you about basket BS. QT. I had a look at Coin Market Cap. It's not there. What have you guys created? A, a stable coin? Yeah. So um, we um, we're, we're working on a really fun project there. Uh, it's actually um, uh, it's it's very similar to what uh, Facebook tried to do with Libra, where we're we're looking at a basket of currencies um, that uh, that all fit inside a stable coin. So you know. We think that people will be uh, a little bit uh, wary of the dollar uh, going forward, and uh, and, a, and a basket of currencies probably make a little bit more sense. Uh, but more to come on that later. It's uh, slightly stealth, but not too stealth. So I can't get onto Coinbase and purchase some BSQT right now. That that is correct. That is correct. Yeah, I'll just have to buy XRP and some other stuff instead. <laughs> yeah, please don't buy XRP. Um, that's you know, I don't care what I don't care what anybody buys. You know, you can you can have your own opinions, but uh, you know, if it's Doge or XRP or GameStop, just you know, <laughs> GameStop at this point, by the way, is sound. It's it's pretty much a cryptocurrency. Um, I don't think there's any any asset value behind it. Um, it might as well be XRP, right? I think there's a few leftover stores and malls that they're trying to sell shelves out of. All um, right. Because all the games are gone, right? I mean, who would have known, right? <laughs> well, here, here, you want to hear something really interesting. You know, I mean, yeah. are we, we're going, right? We're going. Are we, are we I was jiving? I going to ask you about GameStop and Silver anyway, so let's go for it. Well, let's talk about GameStop for a moment. So not many people know this. But I actually took a break from traditional finance many, many years ago and worked at a video game company uh, called Electronic Arts. So uh, that was back in that was back in 2007. And it was when the iPhone was coming out. And we were looking at making acquisitions of companies in uh, Japan and South Korea at the time because Japan and South Korea had a... A, a really strong consumer focused, we'll call it a smartphone base, where the rest of the world, particularly the developed world, was still really, it was really um, commercially driven. So everybody had a, had a Blackberry or a Palm Pilot, but if you didn't have one of those for work, you pretty much had a flip phone that, you know, the only thing that you did outside of calling people and texting people was playing games like, you know, Snake or Tetris. So South Korea and Japan had already developed 
you know, consumer focused smartphones and was you know, five years ahead of the rest of the world when the, when the, when the iPhone was coming out. So um, we kind of made this big bet. Um, I helped, I, I actually helped start the uh, iPhone game division at, at Electronic Arts. And, um, you know, my focus was really developing the, um, um, the, you know, the behavioral science or the behavioral economics behind, you know, how the games would function, how you would pay for them. Because in the past, when you bought games on a cell phone, it was like, you know, 99 cent monthly charge. And then you have console games, which you go out and buy a, you, you go to a store, you buy a package, you bring it home, you, you plug it in, uh, which is a different business model. But uh, we were kind of seeing a, you know, a new business model emerging with the, with, with the iPhone. And, and back then I kind of, I kind of predicted that, you know, it wouldn't be long before people would stop buying packaged goods for, for games. Right. Um, you would just be able to download them directly, you know, just like you, you know, you were able to on the iPhone. So it doesn't surprise me that a brick and mortar store like GameStop that's selling packaged goods, you know, packaged games went out of business when you can just download Fortnite on, uh, on your Xbox or your PS five or download any other game. You don't have to, you don't have to leave the house. You just download it for the same price and it's there and it doesn't scratch. You know, I don't know if you guys had, you know, ever had the Wii. you had the little disc and you put them in and Wii was really cool at the time, but man, every one of my games on the Wii scratched up and uh, you can't even play them anymore. So, um, you know, things don't scratch when they're, when they're downloaded. There you go. Oh, yeah. Game stop. No, that's a really good point. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's, that's one thing we were actually going to bring up with you was your, um, yeah, your experience or your opinion on GameStop. And I'm keen to talk with you about inflation because I know I've seen you tweet a couple of times about inflation. Um, but before we get into that, can you tell us about your Bitcoin ETF coming up, Stephen? Yeah, well, we, we hope we, we hope to launch a Bitcoin ETF soon. Um, we, we filed for the uh, for the privilege to try to to try to launch one. Um, we expect to spend a lot of time with regulators talking about it uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, but we think that, you know, we think that the market is a little bit more prone to, uh, to having one now um, than it was even, even a year ago, two years ago. Um, if you asked me two years ago if the SEC was ever going to approve a Bitcoin ETF, I'd say, yeah, probably not. Um, my opinion has changed quite a bit in the last six months. And with so this I, ETF, I'm oh, sorry, you go, Gordon. I was just going to say, because Stephen lied to us, and I'm going to quote, because I, I I listened to our last podcast, and I quote Stephen, Bitcoin ETF doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm paraphrasing, you said one, because not favorable to regulators, and two, peer-to-peer -peer cash use case uh, really isn't um, what Bitcoin is about. We're, we're looking, ETF is like a speculative use case. So obviously you've changed your mind. I've changed my mind on one of them. I haven't changed it on the other, but uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Gordon. It's, you know, those are both very fair points. When, when we last spoke, I did have the opinion, like I said, you know, it's changed in the last six months that regulators would just never get it done. But here are the things that have changed um, on, on, on point number one. And I will address point number two, because that's very important. Uh, on point number one, uh, what has changed is the way that people are looking at Bitcoin and the way that the industry is handling its customers. Um, you have Anchorage, 
that has come in with a very good custody solution. It's 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 very secure uh, versus you know versus what the solutions had been in the past. Gemini and Coinbase both feel like a lot more like a you know very professional shops that I'm used to dealing with. Um, you know, in in my in my you know rounds in traditional finance. Um, Coinbase is a really good example of, you know, they've, they've brought in, they made this acquisition of uh, Tagomi, which is a trading platform, but then they've built this team around that and created a whole new division called Coinbase Institutional and brought in even um, uh, Brett Tejpal from Barclays, who's former prime brokerage services in the UK over there uh, to head up that group. And he has very much professionalized Coinbase uh, on, on, on the institutional side. Um, when I deal with them, and, 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 they, and we are a client of theirs, um, when I deal with them, it feels like dealing with, uh, you know, Bank of New York Mellon when I was a client of theirs managing money in the, in the, in the past. So, um, and, th- and that change has really only been made even in the last maybe three months. Um, maybe it could have been a little bit prior to that. So, 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 so the custody solutions have become very professional. Um, security is now there. Um, insurance on custody solutions is there. Um, you know, you know, trading manipulation, all of that has certainly changed and, and it's going to continue to change and get better as the price continues to go up for Bitcoin. Um, and then, even in the last three months, you've had a lot more institutional interest in holding Bitcoin. Um, everybody from BlackRock to Guggenheim, um, and, and, and by the way, you know the, the the top five fixed income money managers include BlackRock and Guggenheim. Um, if if you know if Pimco and you know Double Line gets into the mix, I, I think that we're really going to see something. Um, but, uh, but, but, but the fact that you have, you know, real institutional players, real institutionalized um, trading platforms and, um, and, and, and custody has, has, has changed my mind there. And I think the regulators, of course, see it as well. Um, and, and I think that it's going to keep moving in that direction. And is that the main, sorry to cut Faris off, is that the main uh, benefit of an ETF? You get access to Bitcoin's price, but you don't have to deal with all the operations, security and custody of it or are other things at play? No, that, 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 that's exactly right. Um, I mean, you, you, you named all the benefits and, and it's not just the Bitcoin ETF, you know, when it, when it comes, but also, you know, Bitcoin, a, a Bitcoin uh, grantor trust, which is a, uh, something else that we manage. Um, you, you, you don't have to deal with security and custody. We do, right? You don't have to deal with compliance. We do. And, and if you are a insurance company or a pension fund and you want to get access, it's the best way to get access, right? You know, no, there's there, no pension fund manager is going to go out and buy physical Bitcoin and hold it in his treasure, right? On behalf of the, you know, pension fund that's uh, all public employees, right? It's never going to happen. You know, insurance company, same way. Um, really, the only way to access it is through, you know, like a, like a trust product or, um, or an ETF, um, or, or even, you know, a, a hedge fund too, uh, but hedge funds do treat it a little bit differently. You know, um, 
you know, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to buy a hedge fund that only owns Bitcoin if that's really all you want exposure to. And by the way, if if I'm a pension or insurance company, I don't want exposure to, you know, Ripple or to, you know, some of these other things. Um, I only want exposure to Bitcoin. So what you're saying is your entire ETF, the Bitcoin will be on one Trezor behind your big shelf? Uh, no, we no, we would actually, uh, we would use a, uh, you know, one of these more professionalized custody solutions uh, for the ETF. I mean, you, you just you just can't you know store store Bitcoin on a Trezor and say, hey, SEC, here's all the Bitcoin right here. You no, know, they they want to see that you're holding in a third party, you know, custody solution that's bankrupt remote, um, you know, that's that's in its own wallet, separated from everybody else, that has insurance, you know, has all the has all the features that a normal security might have, even though Bitcoin isn't a security in the U.S. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. That's uh, something really interesting I want to bring up was, yeah, you're talking about pension funds getting into Bitcoin, and obviously they can't at the moment. Um, The first gold ETF in the US was March 2003. And we then saw, and when we're talking about pension funds, there's a lot of money behind those coming in. Um, Yeah, in March 2003, gold was about 300, and over the next 10 years, it went up to $2,000. We'd presume we'd see the same thing in Bitcoin, I imagine, just more money coming in. And, you know, the stock-to-flow ratio of Bitcoin, naturally, you'd think that, yes, we would see such a huge price increase in Bitcoin coming in. And, And a point you alluded to, which Bill Miller was recently on the news saying that the higher in price Bitcoin goes, the more secure it becomes. Yeah. No, that's 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 absolutely right. Um, uh, not only is it more secure, it's also, and this is where where, where I more care about as a as a as a as a trader, um, price manipulation becomes less and less and less. It's no different than some small company, some micro cap company listing on the pink sheets. You know, that's worth fifty million dollars. It's really easy to pump and manipulate that price. GameStop. <laughs> is mm. is a great example, you know, when there's when there's barely any 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 flow and it's and, and there's not much market cap, you can you know post something on Reddit and drive the price up very quickly. Uh, when you have a company the size of Apple or Microsoft, uh, you know, potential manipulation uh, definitely goes down quite a bit. So as the market cap of Bitcoin goes up and it's in more and more hands, more and more wallets, more and more traders involved, um, you know, that, 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 that piece changes as well. And that, and that's another piece that the SEC is looking at. Is there the potential, cause I know this is, whether it's conspiracy theorist or, you know, people upset if the price of gold goes down, the gold bugs don't like when gold goes down, obviously that the paper market or the derivative market for gold affects the physical price of gold, that there is, a, there shouldn't be a correlation there, but there is, it's kind of broken the real value of gold because of the large derivative market. Do you think that's the case? And if so, could that be a threat to Bitcoin in the future? You know, it could. Um, and, and I actually, you know, d- derivative markets for, you know, for physical assets or even, or even physical digital assets, if you want to call it that, um, you know, definitely can uh, help move those, you know, those, those commodities or those collectibles. Uh, gold being one of them, but but the problem with gold is the very nature of how how gold is bought and sold. 
you know, for, for most people, if you want to actually buy gold, you have to go down to one of these like pawn shop looking stores down the road that says we buy gold and uh, you're buying gold bars and the spread's really big because it's brick and mortar and the guy's trying to make a bunch of money. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very, yeah, kind of pawn shop feeling, you know, uh, to be able to do that. If you're, if you're buying it in bulk, uh, it is, it is a, a little bit different of experience, but, uh, it's still very expensive. There's a big bid ass spread, um, when you're, when you're buying physical gold. Um, whereas uh, derivatives is a way to just, you know, play the price action of gold through the derivatives market and, and things like oil, for instance, um, you know, speculation, is done in derivatives on a lot of these commodities and they do move the price. Um, when you have something like Bitcoin, that's already a digital asset similar to equities, right? Um, you know, the, the, the value of the equity is going to drive the derivatives more than the derivatives driving the value of the commodity. And, and I think, I think gold is good. I mean, sorry, I think a Bitcoin is going to behave more like a, a equities in relationship to derivatives than, um, than say a commodity. Uh, in the long run. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm keen to get onto inflation now. In our last podcast, you nailed um, commodities because um, we were in and commodities were still basing. We did see a bit of a surge in them, especially in the grains. I mean, they're starting to take off. I'm surprised by oil doing as well as it is. I think a lot of that is just production of oil, but you think a global economic shutdown, you think oil will be coming down and it's doing quite well. Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to look at is when people talk about inflation, A, I think you need to nail down, what are we talking about? We're talking about inflation in the equity markets, inflation in um, services, inflation in goods, commodities, because we're definitely not seeing inflation in wage growth. So right. when you're talking about inflation, Stephen, where are you seeing inflation? Well, but anytime I say the word inflation, I, you know, I, I mean something very specific, right? I grew up in a blue collar family. When I think about inflation, I think about, okay, what does the, what does the average working family need to do to buy things? <laughs> right? Like that's how, that's how I think of inflation. You know, when, 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 when economists or, or, or government officials talk about inflation, they, they're talking about CPI, some formula that was created um, you know, by the, by the U S government, by other governments to like, you know, you know, put some kind of peg on, on what's happening. I could care less about CPI. I care about, you know, what, what, what is the average, what does the average working family have to do to live, to eat, to pay rent, you know, to do all the things necessarily to live. So when I, so, so that's what I mean when I talk about inflation. Um, and, and, and I see a lot of inflation setting in right now, right? I mean, that, and, and by the way, that's, that, that does include things like energy, right? Includes rent, includes energy, you know, putting gas in your car, having, you know, to go to work. Um, you know, the average family doesn't have the luxury of working from home. Um, and, um, you know, and then, and then putting food on the table. So food prices, I think, is really going to, um, really going to inflate very soon. Um and, and there's two main reasons for that. Uh, one of them is freight costs. Um, you know, freight has become extremely expensive. Uh, a lot of that is because of COVID. Um, and, and a lot of that's going to remain in, in, in effect. There, there is a trade imbalance, an imbalance that's also happening. You know, and I'm going to speak from the perspective of the U.S. In the U.S., for instance, uh, is, is the U.S. Is, is primarily a net importer of goods, Right and a net exporter of services. Um, 
if you look at a year ago and, 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 you know, you know, I'm in the LA area, right. You know, I live, I live, you know, I'm, I, I live in LA and I look at the port of LA and what's happening there. Um, generally the port of LA, um, when it sends containers back out to say Asia, uh, half of the containers are empty. When it receives containers in, you know, 100% is going to be full. Um, today, two thirds going out from the port are empty to resupply. So what 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 that's telling me is that um, we're, we're we're importing a lot more goods. Um, there is a supply chain break within the U.S. There's there's a big disruption here in the U.S. And a lot of that disruption is happening in um, in, in, in in food, right? Uh, primarily in California, but in other areas of the country. Um, so we 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 do expect to see food prices go up. Uh, the other thing that's happening is that we do have wage. Um, we 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 don't see a lot of wage growth, but there is an expectation that minimum wage is going up, and that causes most commodity prices to go up as well, including food, right? Um, and if you think about where you buy your food, where you grow your food, um, most of the people that are that are that are that are picking the fruits and vegetables, that are shipping it, that are that are involved in the whole supply chain process, and even people working at the grocery stores mostly work minimum wage. So when you create minimum wage, food food prices go up for everyone, and um, and and people that aren't at minimum wage but uh, are, are are lower paid uh, are going to experience. Uh, you know, zero wage growth, uh, extremely high commodity price growth. Um, gasoline, oil, that's another thing you brought up. Uh, oil just hit $50 a barrel, uh, which it's its not too surprising because it, 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 it you know, oil went negative uh, at the beginning of last year, primarily because everything shut down. You know, there was no, there was no demand for all the supply. Um, but, um, but, but, but that demand has started back up again. The supply is being shut down more. Um, but, but really the price of oil has more to do with, uh, with the dollar going down in value than, than price of oil going up. So, um, so that's another thing to really consider as well, uh, that, the, that, that dollar's value is depreciating against a lot of these uh, commodities and, 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 and other types of assets. Just... Going back to that food thing, Stephen, are you kind of worried about the seemingly increasing protectionism of a lot of countries and not exporting as much and sort of keeping food in-house? You know, I, I think that will, I think that could happen. Um, you know, we, we did have more protectionist policies uh, during 2020 here in the U.S. Um, and then that has now changed quite a bit with the new, with the new administration. Uh, but when, but but I think that uh, if we get to another point to where, you know, food is uh, food becomes scarce, and by the way, if you if you've noticed, the weather patterns have changed quite a bit in the last couple of years through this El Nino season. Uh, so there's you know there's 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 rainfall in places that's not supposed to be rainfalls or snow, places where you know the, it snowed in L.A. <clears throat> there's been high winds. It's been dry. I mean, it's it's been all over the place, and that obviously affects uh, farming. So if, uh, if it's a bad farming season, it's difficult for a country to export food when their people aren't eating. 
that being said, if they're getting enough money for that food, it's, it will be it will be exported if there's if there's enough demand for it. So um, so so we'll see. I, I I don't know the answer quite yet, uh, but it but it is possible. So just on the um, the dollar there, Stephen, um, and this is something that I've heard as well. Um, other economists speak of is. So the dollar at the moment, just in the last few days, is basing. It looks like we might have a, a short-term bounce against, especially like the euro, the Australian, and the Swiss. Um, it's just been grossly um, oversold. Um, but there are a lot of people that are buying. Like, there's a. I, wouldn't, I don't know if you want to call it a bubble, but a lot of people buying Pokemon cards, basketball cards. People essentially getting out of currency and into anything. Um, right. Now. Is this related to potential inflation or a lack of trust in sovereign currencies and especially maybe people realizing the declining purchasing power of a sovereign currency? You know, I think, I, I, I think institutions, and by, by the way, this has always been the case for institutional investors that you don't want to hold dollars because you'll just be depreciated to nothing. Um, that's that's still true that they're you know trying to put there's money on the on the sidelines that they're trying to put to work on on anything right and by the way yielding products like bonds isn't a great place to go right um because they don't yield enough for you to get the return profile that you need you know so they're stretching for other other risk type assets um you know being being at a higher allocation to equities or to private equity or even you know digital assets like bitcoin um but I think I think the general consumer who is buying, uh, I think it has less to do with um, less to do with distrust of the dollar. It has more to do with FOMO. You know, people are seeing other people making all this money. The markets have been up. Crypto's been up. It's like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to miss the move. I got to get in. Um, you know, one of the best things for um, you know. For, for, for equities is, is, is other people talking about how much money they're making in equities. And you hear, and, and even this like movement into, you know, oh, they're going to pump GameStop. I got to get in GameStop. Oh, they're going to pump silver. I, I need to get in silver. Oh, now they're going to pump Dodge, Dogecoin. I need to get in Dogecoin. How do I buy Dogecoin? You know, like this is what I see on my, like, you know, on my feeds, people asking how to buy Dogecoin and people that have been around a little bit saying, don't do it. And then somebody's making 20x, but uh, oh, but I missed that 20x. I'm like, no, you you didn't. You missed buying it at the top and losing all your money, right? Yeah. So so I think that's what's happening. You know, people have you know money sitting around, and rather than just you know saving it, they're like, well, you know what what good is saving my money, right? I can earn one percent, or I can you know make a gamble and try to make something. And by the way, if it doesn't work out, the government's going to give me a check next month. So uh, who cares, right? Like, you know, there's another stimulus package coming. Here we go, right? So I think that's really what's, what's, what's happening. You know, um, you know, the average person is seeing, you know, money coming to them, money sitting in their bank earning nothing and all these other people making money. So, hey, let's go. Let's get a Robinhood account. Let's start trading. Yeah, this is um, something I was going to ask you because, I mean, you had guys like Stan Druckenmiller, one of the greatest traders of all times, who lost money going short with coronavirus and you think if there was ever a black swan event this was the mother of all black swan events but stock markets at all-time highs and we've just seen yeah government is handing people money people are stuck at home jumping on robin hood yeah. how 
big an issue will this be? A, I mean, Scott Galloway tweeted recently just how it will affect the psychology of people staring at Robinhood and just that FOMOing into stocks in and out. But not only that, what happens if that stimulus is taken away? What's going to happen to all that money that was going into the share market? <laughs> that's 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 a really good question. And and, and by the way, I don't even, I don't I don't think it's even stimulus money too. It's just, you know, people have more disposable income that are able to work from home, but not go spend anything. Right. So you can't go to the store and stop, you know, you can't go to the store and stop uh, shop. Uh, you, you can't go sit in a restaurant. So it's like, okay, well, um, I've got this money that I would have spent on that. Might as well make more money. You know, uh, it's, it's a game, right? It's, uh, you know, video games has gotten boring. You know, they, they, they played all that they can play sitting around at the house. Um, let's play this other cool game where I can make money or lose money. Um, and that's, and that's really what it is. You know, um, that's the brilliance of Robinhood. They've, they've gamified, um, stock market investing. Um, so, so, so that's really, so, so that's really it. Uh, even if the stimulus checks sort of go away, I, I don't think they will. I, I, I really believe that the current administration will not only pass, another round of stimulus package in the US that'll be, you know, $1,400 a person. Um, by the end of the year, it wouldn't surprise me if there was basic um, minimum income uh, in the US and uh, people will just get, you know, what, whatever the equivalent of, of minimum wage is um, uh, as, a, as, as a base, right? So that's more money that can be, you know, put in the markets. Now, you're right, it does, you know, the, the punch bowl does eventually get taken away. Um, you know, the, you, you do get to a point to where the dollar is just, you know, it's, it, you know, so much has been printed, it's not worth anything anymore. Um, and, and by the way, we are, we are starting to see that against other, other governments, right? So um, if you look at uh, China, China's a really good example. Uh, China hasn't really printed more money, uh, uh, whereas uh, the U.S. has. So, you know, other countries are printing a limited amount of money just to stay competitive with U.S. exports. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, some of them are just saying, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to go there this time. We don't we don't need to. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. I, I, I don't quite have a prediction of what that will look like just yet. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out over the next few weeks or months. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the film Wally, the Pixar one. It's a. Um... Yeah. Yeah, this is when I'm looking at the world in 2020, this is what it makes me think of just people stuck in these automated chairs, moving around, not doing anything, staring in front of a screen. I mean, there, yeah, this is going to have huge effects down the next generation, just, you know, stuck at home, not being a, you know, not contributing much to society, but also just being fed money to be, to, you know, continue to stay in that state of just dormancy. So, <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, you you paint that side of Wally, but you know I, I think that's going to happen. Except we're going to be doing it in spaceships, just like you do in Wally. Because at the moment, I mean, how many people are ordering takeout at least once a day in styrofoam containers, plastic bags, uh, plastic forks and knives wrapped in plastic? And what are we? You know, I mean, can, I would assume that people probably consume. When, when I say consume. Uh, they, they produce three times more trash than they did pre-coronavirus, right? Uh, you know, in, in California, we had this whole thing about, you know, getting rid of plastic, you know, that they, they started charging for plastic bags. 
Uh, they got rid of straws because it was hurting the turtles. Uh, you know, got rid of any type of any type of plastic. Well, all of that's come back. You know, it's 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 all back. Uh, nobody cares about the turtles anymore. Um, it's 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 all about let's let's put things in like seven layers of plastic um, before we ship it out. So so yeah, if you remember if you remember from, from that movie Wally, they were in the spaceship because they essentially yeah. ran out of room on Earth because of all the trash they produced. I think the only difference will be you'll have unemployment UBI, but we'll be eating bugs. Yeah, that's everyone will yeah. be eating bugs. No meat. Now, now we're sounding me. like Snowpiercer. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 went really dystopia very quickly, didn't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but 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 you know, it does it does it does create create a valid argument, you know. Um, and and here's why I say this, right? You know. Um, there's been all these weird TikTok videos where these young couples, and I saw this one where this young couple basically is explaining to people how to make money. Oh, yes. Have you seen this one? Um, yes. Oh, my How gosh. you make money, and we don't work anymore. All we do is if we see a stock going up, we buy it. <laughs> if we see it going down, we sell it. And that's how you make money. And we're able to sustain our lifestyle by doing this. We don't have to work anymore. We travel and we trade stocks because if it goes up, it's going to keep going up. If it goes down, it's going to keep going down. We just buy and sell, buy and sell. It's simple. We're 24 years old. We've got it all figured out. Now, let's 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 assume that they're not the only ones doing that. Yeah. Right. So now you have like a whole subsection of society that has become really not productive. All they're doing is like, you know, trading a market that's going straight up. What happens when that market drops, right? I mean, everybody was geniuses between 2004 and 2000, yeah, you know, end of 2007. Everybody was a stock market genius, right? Everybody's a genius in the bull market. And then what happened after that, right? Everybody, everybody lost their house. That's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But if you had this whole group of society that, you know, before they were just sort of day trading, you know, but they still had regular jobs. We have a whole group of people that are just like, you know, buying, buying and selling and thinking, oh man, I, I, what were my parents thinking? So, so productivity levels are going to go down. GDP, by the way, was down in the US this last year, despite the stock market being up. And then you have universal basic income. Okay. So let's say these people lose a ton of money in the market or, well, I, who cares? I've got universal basic income now. I'll just live off of that and we're cool, you know, and I'll try to trade it and get it back. So, uh, so yeah, it, it could cause GDP to drop pretty significantly. Uh, look, I'm not saying I'm for or against universal basic income. I'm, I'm kind of undecided, but, but that is definitely a negative. Yeah, that's something I'm thinking of. I mean, we, we are looking at a global economy now, like a video arcade game. It's like that, that's the business model at the moment. Um, yeah. But something I've been thinking of is, like I'm looking at, okay, we're stuck, we're at home. Um, there's a whole commuter economy that is missing out. So gas stations, cafes, just you getting, leaving the house and going to work. That's that whole commuter economy. The f- wouldn't, and then uh, a lot of businesses are no longer going to be renting the retail space. They're going to say, okay, working from home worked well. Let's at least have half the business place working from home. Wouldn't that be deflationary? Just all that money coming out of the system? Well, there's there's a there's a there's a there's an interesting 
phenomenal that happens when people have either lost some income or prices have gone up and they haven't been able to consume for a period of time. Um, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a behavioral issue where it's, it's pent up demand, right? Like people are used to this light one lifestyle. They've lost it for a little bit. That demand pints up and then they over spend during that, during that, during that, during that next period. And then it levels back out and then it, you know, reverts to the mean. Um, that, excuse me, that happens with, you know, restaurants or, 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 or retail buying or, you know, so, 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 so there is pent up demand, but the other side of that is if that, that period of time where you're not consuming happens for too long, then the new mean pulls in and the mean is lower. So that pent up demand won't be as high and then the reversion to the mean will be much lower than the than the firmer than the former mean uh, would have been, and as lockdowns globally can, can continue to per, to persist, that pent up demand does slowly go away, and the mean does certainly go lower as well. So uh, that 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 is something that 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 you know we really have to consider when you know things things go back to normal, so to speak. So there 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 may not be the type of consumerism that we're that we were previously used to. But by the way, there was a period of time between it was about 2000 and uh, 2010 through 2017. And that is where global travel really, really picked up, you know, so 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 people felt poorer during the great, you know, great recession, even if they had jobs right? The stock market dropped. You don't spend as much money when you, when you, when you have a perception that you have less money, even though you're making the same, your income's the same, but your, but your portfolio is down and, and, and all, travel ceased and ended. And then that pent up demand picked up. And then there was like this global renaissance of travel, right? You know, like, you know, airlines started traveling more places and people were, 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 were taking more breaks or like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like, you know, you know, the, the 10 years previous to the to, to, to the to the Great Recession, you know, people worked harder, traveled less, and they realized, hey, you know, life's too short. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to spend the time on the road. Um, and, and that was kind of an interesting, you know, an interesting pickup in the uh, in the travel industry. Uh, but through through COVID, that, that that has certainly changed. You know, people people just aren't, you know, and, and I, and I kind of said this about it about a year ago, a little, little less than a year ago, and I may have said it on your podcast that uh, there will be a change to global travel here, right? I mean, people just aren't going to want to get on a plane regardless of if there's vaccines or regardless of COVID goes away. It's just, you know, pe people, people now think people now act like me, like, like I always have, you know, I think everybody else is dirty. You know, I I've always stood six feet, six feet apart from people, wash my hands frequently, you know, if I see somebody sneezing, I, I walk the other way and, and I'm, and I represent a small portion of the population. Well, in the last year, everybody's turned into me and, and, and some people have gone even further away and, and, and won't even leave their homes. So imagine now, you know, a year from now, people going out and traveling and getting on a plane, planes are the dirtiest things you could possibly be on, right? You're just breathing everybody else's recirculated air all the time. So, you know, I don't want to create another dystopian you know, vision for you guys here, 
but but that's what I think every time I get on a plane. I'm like, okay, well, you know, flip a coin. I might get sick here, right? Um, but I, but I think other people are thinking that way too, and um, and I don't I don't oh, think absolutely. that that perception is going to go away. This is this is a new normal. I, I noticed something funny like that. I was playing basketball with my kids, and my daughter was guarding my son, like eight and ten years old, and she was guarding him really closely, and he was getting really frustrated, and he just yelled at her, "You're not practicing social distancing." <laughs> well, you know, I, um, in, in high school, I, I, I was the center on my, on my, on my basketball team. And, uh, so of course, you know, and I'm, I'm six, five and you know, that's, that's, that's fairly tall for a high school, you know, basketball mm. player. So, so of course, whoever guarded me was like always right on top of me all the time because I'm, I, you know, I was so tall and, uh, and it just, it frustrated me. I hated basketball because of it. Like, no, I want to play point guard where they like give you a little bit of space, you know, uh, I don't want to be the center. Um, but you know, is what it is. <laughs> um, so I see, so if we're looking at an inflationary world in commodities and we're looking at, um, you know, people talking about the, the K market recovery where the middle class will continue to dwindle, um, the Uber wealthy will get more wealthy. Will people have disposable income to put into Bitcoin? So with the Bitcoin ETF, I'm presuming that's not just for sophisticated investors, um, that's also for, you know, funds to get into, but will everyday people have the opportunity to get into, into a Bitcoin ETF or is it just easier for them to just go ahead and buy Bitcoin for, on, on an exchange? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good question. You know, mo- most, most people still maintain 401ks and IRAs and, and when you have, you know, self-directed accounts or even models that you're, that you're, that you're playing in, really a Bitcoin ETF is the best way to, 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 to do it there. Uh, if you are just speculating on the markets, um, look, I think more and more people, you know, the, you know, the average person is going to go onto an exchange and, uh, and buy it, buy it that way. Uh, people are going to get more familiar with that, used to it. Uh, I, I really, I, I really see these products becoming, you know, more, more for institutions than your, than your everyday person. Right. Um, and, and that's how I would behave too, by the way, you know. Um, I, I currently own GBTC in my IRA. Um, I also own, you know, the Valkyrie Bitcoin trust, uh, you know, in my IRA. Um, but, um, but as far as like, you know, my, my own money, uh, you know, or when I say my own money, my, you know, my, my, my money not sitting in IRA, uh, I just buy Bitcoin directly. So I think that's how the normal person is going to certainly operate. Um, the other thing too, though, is I, you know, and Gordon, this was the second part of your question that you asked 45 minutes ago. <laughs> okay. um, I'm still that, waiting. That, that, that I didn't avoid, by the way. We just <laughs> we, we we got talking about other things. Is you know, I see Bitcoin as a as a as a as a peer to peer monetary uh, solution uh, for, for for global use, right? So, do I still believe that? Yes, absolutely. And what I think is going to happen is, is uh, Michael Saylor has started a trend where, hey, look, you know, I've got all this cash sitting on my balance sheet. I might as well diversify my cash holdings. Bitcoin is a cash holding, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's money. Mm. So I'm going to have some dollars and I have some Bitcoin and I'm going to buy many things with dollars and I'm going to buy some things with Bitcoin. You know, nothing wrong with that. Uh, if, if your cash is going down in value and your Bitcoin is going up in value, 
what's going to happen. You'll start going to move more and more cash over to Bitcoin. And um, I don't know. I, I I think it's far away, but I think I think there's a world where most people just use Bitcoin. Um, I can already go, you know, with my with my Gemini app, I can go buy a Subway sandwich with Bitcoin if I wanted to. I, I, I don't. You know, I, I spend cash on everything and Bitcoin on nothing. But if what you're holding is Bitcoin, you're not going to want to transfer it back into cash or you can go buy something. You're going to actually want to utilize it. So right now we're in the speculative phase where people are speculating on Bitcoin growing the market cap so it can actually sustain global peer-to-peer cash use or cashless use. And once we get there, I think the speculation starts coming out of it and the usefulness starts going in. So on that subject, why does it work in an ETF if that's the case? Well, there are ETFs that exist where you can speculate on any, pretty much any currency around the, around, around the world. I can speculate on euros and it's easier to do that by buying the, the euro ETF or any other currency ETF, yen, South Korean won, doesn't matter. Uh, I can buy those ETFs and get that currency exposures as opposed to signing up for Forex and trying to, you know, trade exchange, you know, tr- uh, uh, you know, trade a, 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 a currency uh, on an exchange. It's, it's much easier to do. It's way more simple. So, so Bitcoin and ETF serves that same function, you know, allows you to speculate on a currency uh, without having to go through the, uh, you know, all the, all the hassle of buying the currency directly. That's yeah, a great, great explanation. Thank you, Stephen. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I'm all out of questions, Gordon. Do you have anything? I have I have two more. Um, considering the SEC hasn't approved any Bitcoin ETF yet, uh, why are they going to approve yours? Yeah. Well, um, you know, like I said, I think I think some things have changed. Um, you know, in some of the issues that the SEC has previously had uh, with a with a Bitcoin product or Bitcoin fund. Um, and, you know, whether it's ours or somebody else's, you know, Van Eck has also filed for one. Um, you know, I think, I think us and Van Eck um, are, are going to be the first two to get approved. Um, you know, Van Eck has a long history of, 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 of managing ETFs, um, uh, putting together really interesting ones. You know, they were, you know, pioneers in gold ETFs, for instance. Um, you know, I think they, they, they stand a really strong chance. Um, and then, and then the team that we have as well, I think also has a, has a very strong chance. Uh, we have a, we have a team that has a lot of experience, uh, in ETFs. Um, you know, I launched dozens of them when, when I was at Guggenheim, um, and, and helped build, uh, you know, Guggenheim's ETF business from, you know, zero to, you know, $60 billion. Right. So, uh, in a, in a very short period of time too, by the way. Uh, so, um, you know, so, so, so building esoteric ETFs, managing them, distributing them, um, you know, we, we have a team that's very apt to do it as, as does Venex. So, you know, I think that we're going to be the two that are going to, they're going to go head to head and it'll be a friendly battle. Um, we, we certainly are very close friends with the, uh, with the Vanek guys and respect them and like them. And, um, but yeah, it'll be a, it'll be very, very, very friendly competition. Um, but, uh, uh we'll have fun doing it. Well, I imagine the two of you applying at the same time will actually, you know, complement and support the cause rather than, you know, it's, it's harder to shoot down two applicants in one, isn't it? Yeah, that's, I think, I think that's right. Um, you know, I, I think, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. 
for sure. What's the difference between Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust, like GBTC, and say your ETF? Yeah, so um, so so really, the difference between a grantor trust and an ETF is is pretty simple. Um, a grantor trust has a underlying asset, you know, Bitcoin, uh, that is what's considered its net asset value. That's 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 the value of the underlying asset. But the trust itself can trade wildly in a range all around the value of what the underlying asset is, uh, because you know, really, it's sort of like a casino. You can buy in, you can't really get out. Um, you have to, you know, sell into the market. You can't, you can't go out and redeem. So we've experienced, you know, really high premiums um, on that, and I believe uh, it even traded at a discount over the weekend uh, or, or or at the end of last week. With an ETF, you have constant creation redemptions of shares. So somebody can say, "Hey, I want to buy buy that ETF." It might be trading at a slight, you know, premium, and uh, you buy in, and it closes the premium. Um, and then if uh, it's trading at a discount, you want to get out, but you get out at the asset value, and that closes the discount. So what it does, it causes that 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 spread between uh, NAV and a premium or discount to narrow to basically nothing. So Stephen, with um, Bitcoin being a 24 seven market, 365 days a year and an ETF effectively being eight hours a day, five days a week, do you have to risk mitigate for opening gaps? Um, you know, we've dealt with that before in other types of products. So, so for instance, um, you know, you could have a product that, you know, I, I've, I, I used to, you know, I launched this ETF that, uh, held Chinese bonds. Right. And, you know, they trade on the Hong Kong markets, the bonds themselves do, but then the ETF trades in the U S during, during U S market hours. So, you know, that's just one, one example, but there are many ETFs out there that, that, that hold, um, non-U.S. equities, um, you know, non-U.S. bonds, other types of commodities that, that, that trade on a 24-hour basis. Uh, so I don't think it's actually, it's, it's, it's really not too much of a big deal. Uh, and even if you look at the stock market, right, you know, you, you might hold a stock itself. It's not even an ETF. And there's some news over the weekend that causes it to move. Uh, you can do nothing about the news that happens over the weekend. You just accept the price that you get on Monday morning. Uh, so it's something that the markets are certainly used to doing. Uh, so I don't see it, you know, in relationship to other other things that have already existed. I don't see it as a as, as an issue. Apparently, cool. gaps get filled anyways. <laughs> That's right. Um, second last question for me. Apart from all this stuff, are there any projects that you're kind of excited about at the moment? Tech or non-tech? Blockchain? Non-blockchain? Um. Good question. I, I I can't I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'd have to I'd have to really think about that for a moment. I can think of one. Uh, PayDrop implementing Lightning payments. Oh, now that would be a really good idea. <laughs> there you go. PayDrop implement. Yeah, um, that would be a great that would be a great idea. Have okay, I have th- I have three hard hitting questions for you, and you have to answer one or the other. You can't answer nothing. Ripple okay. or Dogecoin? Doge. PlayStation or Xbox? Xbox. Bonds or bananas on the blockchain? Bonds. 
Okay. All right. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Stephen. We uh, couldn't have thought of a better guest for our 100th episode. So thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll chat again. at um, Faris and I don't put a time limit. We just say a price. So we'll chat again at say 100,000. <laughs> I love it. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. Can't wait. <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Thank you very much, yeah, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.